So having done this series on self-management uh, and doing all five sessions of that, which introduces you to uh, the idea of parts and the complexity of this, um, I'm now going to do a short series, probably three sessions, on the observer position. And it's absolutely key to this whole approach. In order to do any of this, you've got to master and, and have a good understanding of the observer position. So the first thing I want to say before we go any further is if this is something you're listening to before you've listened to the management series, I would stop right there. And I would say, let's let, listen to the self-management series first, which introduces you to the whole idea of parts, uh, multifaceted nature of, of human beings, uh, how to manage that, how to deal with that, before you start to look at this observer position. So let me encourage you to do that. So let's make a start. I think there's going to be three in this series, but we'll see how it goes. You know, I like to keep them um, reasonably short so that you can pick up the important points, but not be, not be droning on for an hour or two. So I want to say something more about this key uh, point about this approach, which is the observer position. In order to understand, develop and practice my method here, you must first develop your understanding of what I call the observer position. Things like a, a raised awareness of your parts, what triggers them, how and when they were constructed, as well as being able to communicate with them in a way that is sort of age appropriate. They're all things uh, that are covered in the last series and they're all things that depend on a good understanding and working knowledge of this observer position. Now, did you ever say to yourself, uh, why am I doing this? You know, as you begin yet another disastrous course of action and another behavior that's going to be so bad for you, 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 you're sort of asking yourself, why am I, you know, why am I doing this? I shouldn't be doing this. Somehow able to see how bad this is going to be and yet seemingly unable to stop yourself. Now, if you've always thought of yourself as one single simple thing, doesn't this double opinion, double view seem a bit strange? I want to ask you, who was talking to who at these moments? Now, these questions are surprisingly difficult to answer from what we might call a traditional perspective. You see, actually what you were doing was observing yourself in a triggered moment. So what do we mean by this? And how can it help us to develop our recovery? Well, the first thing we need to do is to define our core self. And we're going to do that now. You see, all this approach, this whole thing, if we, if we go to the, to sort of the big headline here, it's about becoming your primary caregiver. It's about realising and taking responsibility for yourself in a way that no one else is going to, or even if they wanted to, could do. You see, we're talking internally now. We're talking about what happens in the relationship between your mind and your brain. And no one else can deal with that except you. So whether you think of yourself as the captain of a ship or the driver of a car or the head of a family, whatever way works for you, the point is that we're encouraging you to take responsibility. This is something you're going to do. 
and no one else can do it. So what are we talking about when we, when we define our core self? We're saying that your real self exists in what we call the front room, this room above your eyes, your consciousness, your mind. This is where all the choices are made. This is where you live. This is where you filter all your experience. This is where you make meaning from everything. And it's the relationship with the back room, this part of your brain that um, protects you from all of these threats. Um, this is the relationship we're going to work with. And this is where we need to develop this observer position, where even though your brain attempts and, and does sometimes take over to a, a different stages, we can actually observe this and increase the influence of our, um, uh, our parts, increase the influence of our self over the parts, going from basic observation to um, developing a relationship with the part where we can get the part to trust us. So, were traditional approaches attempt to get you to change and to say there's something wrong with you, you've got a disease or you've got a, uh, an illness uh, and you need to be cured uh, and that means really changing yourself. Uh, what we're saying is you need to become more like yourself. We want you to be more you. And that seems a lot simpler than being less like you. And that's because it is. You know, you have all the resources that you need in order to um, recover, in order to deal with and manage yourself. We need just need to access those resources more. So, how do we distinguish between your parts and yourself, this front room and this back room? Well, the first thing you need to do is, is, is just accept that you have this potential, that your part um, develops and constructs what we might call parts of you to protect you from certain uh, threats. And if this isn't true, then you need to ask yourself again, why would you change your opinion? Why would you change your opinion? It doesn't make sense. So say, for instance, one day you're saying, right, I'm never going to use drugs again, or I'm never going to drink again, or I'm going to stop watching pornography, or I'm going to stop gambling now. Uh, I'm going to stop having affairs and, and, and all that. And then the next day you're doing the same, you, you're at it again. Why, why does that opinion change? Now, this is something that from a traditional perspective uh, has you using all kinds of self-help and pills and doctors and all kinds of things. But from this perspective, the, the, what neuroscience is teaching us, we see no change of opinion. What's happening is that your core self, your real self, has an opinion about this thing. And that opinion hasn't changed. The point is, not that the opinions changed, but who's in the driving seat? This is the issue. Because if there's any kind of threat going on, then your brain has taken over, and the part that's taken over does not share the same opinion. 
So you've got two parts and two opinions, and now that makes perfect sense. So there's no craziness, there's no illness, there's no disease. It's just you having one opinion and your brain having another. And we need to form a relationship between the two. And that relationship starts by observing the part from your adult position. So let's get that thing straight to start with. There's no change of opinion. There's a part of you that thinks taking drugs is a good idea and you, your core self, says it's, we need to stop doing that. So we've got two opinions. Now, how do, we di- how do we distinguish between the two? Well, this is where we come back to this idea of, um, of the pure or untainted uh, self, the, the real self, if you like. So when we are establishing who, who is this real or core self that's doing the observing, the first challenging idea you might come up with or you might be faced with, is the idea that everybody, no matter how damaged or abused uh, in their lifetime, has a core or real self. No matter how much of a checkered past you've got, there's a core part of you that is unaffected by circumstance. Now, this is a very challenging idea for someone who sees themselves as a hopeless addict and a big screw-up, and I've, I've messed everything up in my life, and I understand how you feel, and I understand how disappointing and depressing that might be. But I want you to know that no matter how bad things have gone, you have a core or real self that is untainted by your experience. This is the key thing to get hold of. So when we talk about uh, the calmness of the pure self or the real self, it's pure calm. It's not just a bit calmer, right? So anytime you're talking about, oh, I'm a terrible liar or I'm a hopeless addict or I'm a, just a waste of time, you're actually talking about a part of you, not the real you. So this real self, this core self, is your consciousness. It's your mind. Because it's the part of you that makes the sense of everything, you can think of it as a filter through which everything must pass, a translating point that makes meaning from everything you experience. You're doing it now as you hear this. As you hear my words, you're making sense of them through your mind. Now, it's your consciousness in an untriggered state. In other words, it's calm and clear and confident and so on. And I want to promise you, that if you could find a way to maintain this state, even through difficult moments, you would never drink, use drugs, or act out addictively again. You, it's, it's that simple. Now just allow yourself to imagine this. Imagine remaining in your core state and making good decisions, improving relationships. Making progress in your chosen field. Unlike traditional forms of treatment that diagnose you, attempt to make you change and be less like you, this approach is asking you to be more like you. So if that's your true self, then any feeling, thinking, belief, attitude or experience is what we call a part of you. Anything that doesn't agree, anything that differs from calm, clear and confident is what we call a part of you. So how do we distinguish between 
this this idea of you, the real you and your parts. Well, I want you to keep this very simple. Okay, we're going to totally oversimplify this just so that we can make sense of it. So think of the space above your eyes, the mind, generally thought of as your consciousness. This is where you live. This is where you reside. This is where I, I want you to think of this is your, the room that you live in. But there's also another room at the back of your head and we, we, this is where a part of your brain uh, lives and reacts to threat. So we have a simple picture now of two rooms that are communicating with each other. These rooms will eventually develop a better relationship as you practice. The only information the back room ever gets is feedback from the front room you, through your senses, what you see, what you hear, what you think and so on what you experience, all that feeds back to the back room and the back room reacts to it. So the front room is your mind and it's generally running your life. It's generally trusted to run your life. It's making decisions, deciding on the next course of action for the most part. The back room is watching out for threats through your senses and constantly uh, reacts to, like lightning when it sees one. These times are what we call triggered moments or episodes. The best way to think of this is that your mind, your front room, is running your life, but it's doing so on license from the back room. In other words, this license can be revoked in a fraction of a second if your brain, the back room, identifies a threat. So protection is normal. Now, so this is the next thing to get hold of, is the idea that whatever is um, whatever times when you're feeling protected by from your brain, to understand that this is normal. There's nothing abnormal about it. And this is the first issue that we have to get hold of. 